can't talk in public for as long as I have without saying things you regret. So I'd like to start by fixing something I said a few weeks back, or at least completing it. I told a story a few weeks ago about when I was 19 years old and first in love with Jesus, and how all week long I experienced God seeking him all day, every day, and that sometimes Sunday felt less in rhythm with God than the rest of my week. Who recalls this? Okay, so a few people were listening. I ended up making a statement in that message that at 19 years old, I had no need for the preacher to know my name. All I needed was for him to have an intimate walk with God and share that with us on Sunday through his sermons. That comment has been bothering me for weeks because I'm concerned that it left you with the impression that you should feel that way. And I'm concerned that 19-year-old me, that you think that 19-year-old me is 41-year-old me, who now actually has a theology of the church, and I didn't back then, and now actually understands why we gather and how to be a family and the importance of being a family, and now actually understands just how precious our relationships are and how Important it is to me to know every single one of you as much as possible. So it's been bothering me for weeks. And every week I've thought I should say something about that or I should write an email to let you know 19-year-old me had some things really right. I was going after Jesus every day, all day. But 19-year-old me didn't really understand stuff about church family as well as I do now. And I also want to let you know that my own sense of why am I full-time staff here is so that I can, yes, give myself to lots of time praying and studying the Bible so that my preaching is helpful, but that's not the only thing that I want to be about. I want to be meeting with you, listening to you, praying with you, counseling you. And so sometimes it's interesting, I, I go, hey, do you guys know that for free, not really free, you pay my salary, But for free, you get counseling, all the counseling that you need with me. And that's my joy and delight to do that. You're not bothering me. I mean, I'm not saying I'll answer your phone call at 11.15 p.m., but we can schedule something that works for both of us. All right, so that's all I had to say about that. Shall we move to the Bible again? We're still in Colossians. We're still in Colossians chapter 1. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. This is the word of the Lord. I told you last time that I'll probably be stuck on this for a while. Now this week I just can't get over the word firstborn again. I tried to move forward. I thought maybe last week we did this passage enough justice to move forward, but I just can't get over the word firstborn. We talked a little bit last time about how the word firstborn implies his place in the family. But now I want to talk about what else it implies. If he's the firstborn, what else is true? There are others. 
Hebrews talks about in bringing many sons to glory, God made the author of salvation perfect through suffering. Oh, so, so it's about bringing many sons to glory. In Romans 8, if you could go ahead and flip over to Romans chapter 8 real quick. Romans chapter 8. You find almost the same construction of this verse. In chapter 8, verse 29, it says, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Or maybe your translation says it differently. How does your translation read Romans 8, 29? He predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the first among many brothers. Isn't that fascinating? Here it says the image of the invisible God, the firstborn. In Romans 8, 29, the same thing. The image, firstborn, but then he finishes the thought there and says, many brothers. All right, so I'm gonna repeat some of what I said last time because I feel like it's so important that I'm more interested in us letting truth dig down deep and transform the way we live then I am interested in making sure that I tell you something fresh and new every week. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm more interested in the gospel being exciting to us than in preaching being exciting to us. Right? What's weird is we Christians make the things we do for God our gospel, and that's super dangerous and stupid. We make preaching the gospel instead of the gospel. We make singing worship instead of worship worship. We make doing ministry what we look for to complete us, in other words, the gospel, instead of what Jesus has done. Super dangerous. So I'm going, okay, Lord, I'm going to repeat what I said last week. Is that okay? And he's like, Tim, it's about the living. It's about the relationship. It's not about whether the sermon is fresh every week. Go back, repeat it till we get it. So in eternity past... In eternity past, there's been a Father, a Son, and a Holy Spirit. We call that the doctrine of the Trinity. And I don't know if you know this, but the gospel is rooted in the doctrine of the Trinity. If we lose the Trinity, we lose the gospel. I could give you a list of modern evangelical, supposedly evangelical preachers that don't even believe the Trinity. And you'd be like, what? I'm not going to do it because I don't feel like talking bad about people. Instead, I want to talk good about God. But if God is not Trinity, then that means there was a time when God was not a father. If God is not Trinity, that means that, what, that means that there was a time when God was not love. Because love requires the beloved to be love. If God is not a Trinity, that means there was a time when God was alone. None of those things is true. God is Father, God is Son, and God is Holy Spirit. And the Father is not the Son. They are distinct persons. And the Son is not the Holy Spirit. But all three of them are God and worshipped as God. And they have been in an eternal relationship 
that has been deeply gratifying and satisfying and full of happiness. For eternity past, they have been doing great. And so, what was, what was Jesus doing before? He pre-exists all things. Jesus pre-exists all things. So this is repeat. This is just repeat. So for all eternity, the Father has been giving himself, his essence, what he is, to the Son freely. He's been giving it. And the Son has been receiving who the Father is. And in receiving the essence, the nature of God, he's been going, oh. And then he's been responding back to the Father in love. And that cycle has been going on in this eternal dance. This eternal dance. And out of that fullness, out of the overflow of that relationship, that love relationship, eternal Father, eternal Son, eternal Spirit, flowing in affection, giving of themselves to each other, receiving who you are, giving back to you, and through that dance, that overflows and spills out and, and, and that, that satisfaction becomes so strong, they have to share it with somebody. It spills over. And I, again, if we lose the doctrine of the Trinity, like at a deep level, we end up losing the gospel. Ministry is out of the overflow. It is the overflow of what we have in God coming and pouring out of us into the places of need. It is not need touching my woundedness and pulling me into more need. God doesn't create out of loneliness. He creates out of fullness. And he speaks and light explodes. And then as he's designing his creation, he makes the capstone of the creation, you and I, made in his image and likeness because we were made to be his children. Because we were made to fully enter into this thing that Jesus had in eternity past. And so I said this last time, it just bears repeating I kind of joked. I said, it's too bad that when Jesus then became a man, took on flesh, that then he had to get religious to, get, to find God. I said, it's too bad that then he had to pray to try to find some way to approach this distant God then because in, in create, being, becoming a man, he'd become distant and separate. It's just too bad he then had to read the Bible to check off boxes to earn favor and had to give tithes and offerings and animals to try to somehow approach the holy God. And you all said, that's not how it worked. And I said, I know, that's why I'm saying that, to provoke you. No, what we find is that Jesus in the flesh 100% experiences God exactly as before in terms of relationship. And so you find in John chapter 5 and verse 19 and some other places that Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say what I hear the Father saying. I'm always working because the Father's always working. Translation. Jesus lived 100% of the time conscious of the presence of God. Jesus lived 100% of the time 
conscious of the activity and the presence of his father. We talk about outpourings, we talk about revival services, we talk about sometimes we're in a place of prayer and we can feel God's presence and hear his voice, but other times not. Jesus lived in a steady, stable, I'm not talking about an emotional roller coaster or emotional highs, I'm talking about a fixed and steady daily communion, unbroken with God. He never did anything for the Lord apart from the Lord. He did everything in union with his Father. It was always the Spirit of his Father working through him. And where did he develop this, you guys? He developed this in a regular human life that didn't look impressive at all. Just a regular human life working as a carpenter's son is where he developed this this life. It's where he walked this out. So then he calls disciples and they stand next to this light for three years. They stand next to this relationship that he has with the Father. And they, they, get, to, they get to peek in on it for three years. And then he says, this is interesting, the other, the other day we were having supper and we do discussion questions sometimes and one of the discussion questions was, If you could go anywhere in history, where, if you could go back in time to any place in history, time and place, where would you go? And I thought, I think here's good. And Layla said, I want to go see Jesus. And I said, yeah, that's good. That's real good. And then I thought, you know, it's really interesting. Jesus was getting ready to ascend back to the Father, and he says, I'm going to leave you guys. I'm going to go back to the Father and the disciples are heartbroken. And he says, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's the wrong response. You should be happy I'm leaving. Because up to now, I've had the spirit of my father in me, and you've been sort of basking in the light of my relationship with the father. But when I return to the father, I'm going to I'm going to enter the true holy holies as as the true high priest and offer myself as the true slain lamb and then your sin will be covered fully. And I go to prepare a place for you because in my father's house are many rooms. Y'all, we together are the temple of the Lord and each one of us is a temple of the Lord, so to speak, a room. And he goes to consecrate a place for us right here, right there in Stan. And he says, if I go, I go to prepare a place. If I go, if I go, if I go, it will be better for you if I go. Because if I go, Holy Spirit will come and take up residence in you. So when he's on the cross and he says it's finished and he gives up his spirit, what's finished? There's a lot of right answers, by the way. 
since all things have been reconciled to God through the cross. Sorry, Doug. So he goes back to the Father, and he says, guys, you should be excited that I'm going back to the Father, because the Father's Spirit has been in me, but now we're switching things up. The way that the Father's been in me, I am going to be in you. He'll say this in John 17, I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as you and I are one, you and me and I and them and them and us. So this thing that's been in eternity past, in the Trinity, before God ever created anything, this thing that God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been involved in, this thing that was so amazing, the give of, of themselves to each other and the receiving and the giving of, we call it eternal life, which means life on a higher plane than biological life. This eternal life that they've been giving and receiving, this eternal dance of the Trinity that exploded in the let there be light of creation because he wasn't lonely, but he did want someone to talk to. We get incorporated into it now. In the same way that Jesus said, it's the spirit of my father in me, now we say it's the spirit of Jesus in us. And Paul will say, if anyone's in Christ, they didn't get religious. They didn't get a list of rules. They didn't start... They didn't turn over a new leaf. They didn't go to a bunch of classes. They didn't decide that they're going to follow a list of rules or a dead Messiah who lived 2,000 years ago. They didn't join a religious organization and then learn about a bunch of things for how they can learn some skills to maybe adjust and improve certain things. If it works, we'll see. It doesn't work most of the time. No, he says, if you're in Christ, then the Spirit of God has cut away the old you like a surgery. Really, he says, like a circumcision, but I didn't want to say that out loud. But there it is. It's in your Bible. He's cut away that old heart, and he's made a new one. So in Galatians 2, Paul says, it's no longer me. I no longer live here, but Christ lives in me. Boy, that is just like Jesus in, in John. That it sounds just like Jesus saying, hey, don't blame me. I'm, it's just the Father at work in me. He's breaking the Sabbath. Well, the Father's breaking the Sabbath. I'm just partnered with him. <gasps> How dare you? How dare you, A, say that the Father would ever break his own commands and B, claim to be one with God. Let's get him. Do you know what I'm saying? And of course, Jesus wasn't violating the actual spirit of the Sabbath, was he? He said the Sabbath was for man. It was for our sake. And on the Sabbath, he was bringing people into rest who were oppressed by the evil one. But they had become so deceived in their brain about how this thing works that the, that the rules were divorced from the actual heart of God. And he was there reflecting the heart of God so pure and so clear and all they could see was that he was violating their understanding of the rules. Amen. So they kill him. This, this firstborn among many thing, this firstborn of all creation thing, 
is so beautiful to me. That I've been adopted in, which if you're a pro-adoption person, like, come on, Christianity is definitely for you. Because that, that's the gospel. The gospel is adoption. That we've been adopted in, we've been connected to Jesus, and we get in on everything he has. So when I pray, I don't pray from my momentum. I don't pray from the momentum of my prayers and fastings and how I've been doing lately. I pray from his momentum. I don't live by my power. I live by his power in me. The whole gospel is impossible. It's all I can't. We're not gathered around our ideals. We're gathered around a person and we need him like crazy. Recently, I've been kind of struck with that, like how we often think that we're going to find the church that believes what we believe and that behaves the way we want to behave. We're going to, you know what I mean? We're going to gather around strength and conviction. But the reality is, we are much more, we are much more like, oh boy, I'm trying not to be negative. Uh, <laughs> We're much more like out-of-shape people joining a gym and sick people joining a hospital and, <laughs> I don't know, and ignorant children joining a school than, than we... I, don't take it the wrong way. I'm, I'm a we. I'm a we. Jesus is... is we gather because of our common need of Jesus and we gather to feast on him together. And we gather to receive new eyes and we receive new eyes on each other, don't we? So you can read your, your New Testament, and you read books like Corinthians. What was going on there? You got the rich eating food in front of the poor who are hungry at church. You got people having sex with other people's spouses. You got people exercising spiritual gifts without love. You got people arguing over whose denomination is better, whose preacher is, their, is better than another person's. Well, when we had so-and-so come, we had him stay with me, and he, he put his hands on me. We got that anointing from, for that thing. Ah, uh, well, whatever. When we had Brad Jersak come, he stayed with me, and then he had prayed laid hands with him on me. What are you talking about? And Paul starts that addressing that church by saying that y'all are saints and you're holy and you're set apart and you're clean and you're loved by God. He's got different eyes on them. He is the image of the invisible God, firstborn of all creation. So we've been pulled into this thing where we don't earn it. Jesus didn't earn it, by the way. He didn't earn it in eternity. How could you ever earn it? That's hilarious. Even attempting to earn it dishonors the greatness of the God you're serving. You know what I mean? He didn't earn it in eternity. He didn't earn it when he was on earth, and neither do we. We receive this thing as a gift, just like he did. But we can't do anything in this life without intimacy with God. Yep. 
the idea of hearing God, listening to God, knowing, walking with, relating to, experiencing God as some sort of um, private uh, property of a few real spiritual people over here in a corner is ridiculous. The gospel is experiencing God. That is the gospel. The essence of the Christian life is walking with, experiencing God, God who speaks, God who breathes, God who touches, God who changes, God who is intimately involved already. And he's right here. He hasn't left. So to find him, I go inward. To find him, I, I don't need, you know me, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go to places the Holy Spirit leads me to learn from people who have things the Lord is trying to give me. So when I'm saying you don't need to go anywhere, don't hear me saying that wise men just stay put and pray harder. But what I'm saying is, to find Jesus, slow down. Amen. And ask for new eyes. Jesus didn't fix problems with his intelligence. He was never in troubleshooting mode and then fixing mode. His Christian life was, okay, Father, what are you doing here and now? In fact, this might sound like an anti-prophecy statement, but I'm not interested in hearing somebody come and tell us what God will do through this house over the next 50 years. I'm not interested. Now, if God wants to talk to us about that, I actually am interested. But you know what I'm more interested in? I'm interested in where is Jesus now? Here and now. What is he doing here and now, today? What is he saying here and now today? Tomorrow will take care of itself if we take care of walking with him today. I'm not interested in grandiose promises that intimidate and puff us up. I'm interested in his presence that brings us genuine fellowship and relationship. What is he saying to you now for years, I've off, you know, for years I've had the thought it would be really helpful if we could just kill the radio and the internet. And if all of us Christians were required to no longer, just not be allowed to have YouTube or podcasts. It would just be kind of interesting to see what would happen, how much quicker the church would get healthy if we were forced to hear God in our own lives and in the lives of the communities he's put us in instead of sneaking over to hear what God's saying to some other community we're not a part of. Filling our head with ideas disconnected from what he's actually saying to us. Because he'll do more through a boring message that's actually what he's saying to us than through an amazing sermon for someone else. I'm not anti-listening to podcasts or YouTube. I've told you for years I've thought about. doesn't mean I've concluded. I wouldn't know Dan Muller if it weren't for YouTube. And the Lord led me to him and said, put him in your phone. 31 hours of nothing but Dan. Don't stop listening to Dan until what's in his mouth is in your life. Which was cool. Which was cool. But what's my point with that? What is he actually saying to you? And stick with what he's saying to you until it's taken on flesh in your life. We're really, we're really in this thing. 
And if Jesus experienced ongoing, constant revelation, if he heard God 24-7, if he felt God 24-7, if he was aware, maybe, maybe the word feel is not the right word. Maybe the right, maybe the right word is aware. If he was aware of his father 24-7 and his whole life was lived out of mystical union, then surely that's the normal Christian life. And if he lived for 30 years in that mystical union and no one noticed, then surely, then surely, you at your job is no less spiritual than me at mine. I really have two sermons, but I'm deciding to preach just this one. The second sermon has to do with Jesus as creator. And I guess I'll save that for a different day. But in that sermon, I'll, I'll give you a preview. Jesus invented art. Poetry, music, mountains, all the creatures, all the animals. It seems highly unlikely we're the only planet with life on it, just so you know. It's one of the dumbest, most arrogant, absurd things that I've ever heard, the idea that there's not life anywhere but on this one tiny speck. That, that's inconsistent with everything I've learned about God. We're going to isolate all the life and creativity to one tiny blue planet. You know what we're made of, right? If you look at all the most common elements in the whole universe, what is it? It's um, uh, hydrogen, helium, carbon, oxygen, nitrogen, and then a whole bunch of other ones. And look at what we're made of. Hydrogen, which is H2O water, hydrogen, oxygen, carbon, nitrogen, uh, not helium, because it doesn't bond with our... Biological, yeah. But if you breathe it in, you can, like that. What I'm saying is we're made of the most common stuff in the whole universe, and you're telling me that you don't think that he made anyone else anywhere else? Sounds unbelievably arrogant to me. And do you think he would be obligated to tell us about it in his Bible? No, of course not. What's the Bible for? So we can know him. It's not so we can know everything. It's so we can know him. He deliberately says, this is the focus of this book, to know me. People trying to use it as like a dietary manual and like a get-rich-quick guide. And I'm like, guys, or even a science handbook. And I'm like, guys, it's to know him. It's to know him. But here's where I want to go with the second sermon, which won't be today, but I'm just giving you a little preview. If Jesus made everything and everyone, and he's Lord of everything and everyone, then it seems like any theology that doesn't create a very life-affirming, world-affirming, food-affirming, sex-affirming, poetry-affirming, dancing-affirming, like, view of culture is not Christian. And yet, what, what have we done historically? Tear off the art off of the walls in the church, shut all the windows, and pray for the, for the rapture. You know, and don't enjoy anything. And like, would that kind of theology give, a, give us a book like Song of Songs? No. Song of Songs is a racy poem about your lover and your lover's body. We don't talk like that in front of other Christians in public. They did. And they drank alcohol and danced and sang. So it seems to me, now I'm not talking about getting drunk, Bunny. But it seems to me any theology that becomes anti-pleasure and anti-the body can't be Christian. He invented it. All the devil can ever do with any pleasure is distort it and bend it and warp it. 
Yeah, I like to tell the kids out at Reach, Jesus invented this thing called sex. He did a good job designing it. He really ensured the survival of the species. Man, did he ensure the survival of the species. You know I'm right. Let's get back on point, though. That's a separate sermon, and it's going to be a good one. Next time you're out and about looking around, Jesus made all this. He owns all this. He's not some little human-sized person who came later because you screwed up and now to get you raptured off and avoid hell, Jesus had to be killed. It's way bigger than that. Way more beautiful than that. Way more life-affirming than that. There's no secular world is what the point of that sermon will be. There ain't no such thing. There's no secular music, by the way. That means we Christians, we write songs only about Jesus. What is that about? Why can't I write a song about how much I love my wife and how I'm sad about whatever happened and my dog? I don't have a dog. My cat. (laughs) I can. I should because that's Christian because it's Jesus' world I'm in. I'm, I'm jumping ahead. Get back on this point. Here's this point. The incredible, intimate, ongoing, like, encounter of love and grace and intimacy that Jesus shared with the Father He means for that to be yours every day with no earning, no earning at all. It's as simple as remember it, receive it, and walk in it. That's all it is. Did you know you died to sin? You didn't make that happen either. Did you know you were made a new creation? You didn't do that. You receive it. You believe it. You walk in it. Did you know you have access to his presence? You didn't make it happen. It's a gift. Just remember it, receive it, walk in it. Unbroken fellowship. So that now he says, the same way the Father related to him, the same life of abiding in the Father. The other week I was thinking about this. The Lord said, uh, I was talking to the Lord about rest and work. Rest and work. Because it seems like, you know, come on, Jesus is not all holed up in the wilderness praying by himself. Come on, look at the, look at, read your Bible. It's like, this person's healed. And then the next paragraph, that person interrupts. He's on his way to heal so-and-so, but the crowds are pressing in. And then this lady comes and touches him. And he's like, who did that? And then on his way there, and then he raises a little girl. And the next thing you know, he bumps into these two blind guys. And they're yelling, you gotta heal us. And he's like, do you wanna see? And then he's, don't tell anyone what happened. Which, think of that. Don't tell anyone what happened. But Event, miracle after miracle after encounter after encounter. He's super involved. He's super active, right? And yet, and yet, and yet, I gotta believe. I gotta believe he was never worried and never hurried. He's in the middle of this, not thinking of all he's gotta get done. But I would have been thinking about all that I gotta get done. And now these people are interrupting my agenda. My agenda was important. I'm not gonna get any of the stuff done that was on my list today because I've wasted my whole day with all these people who've interrupted me. And I don't know how this is all gonna work out. And now I'm really stressed. Because I haven't learned to think like him yet. Because he's thinking, the Father's the one in charge of my schedule. So where are you at? My only agenda, the only item on the agenda is abide. And find God at work and partner with him. I'm just telling you right now, wow, help, teach me God. (laughs) Anyone else? Teach me God. And so the interruptions, and not just that, it's a moving target. So they're at a wedding, and his mom says, they're out of wine, Jesus, you know what to do. And he says, woman, 
which I've learned that's not how you do it, but uh, maybe, maybe he gets a hall pass as Lord. I don't Woman, why are you involving me? It's not my time yet. But then right after he says to her, it's not his time, the father says, actually, she has influence with me, and it's time. And he goes, oh, okay, all right. Or the Gentiles come and they go, we want to see Jesus. And he's like, oh, it's not time for that. And then the Holy Spirit says, if the Gentiles are seeking you, it's definitely time for you to go to the cross. So we can get them this gospel too. You see, or the, or the, 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 foreign, the foreign woman who, who has the really offensive interaction with him. You know the really offensive interaction I'm talking about? Where she says, hey, heal my daughter. And he says, man, this is like, you don't even want to say this in public nowadays. It's not right to give the children's bread to dogs, <gasps> foreigners. He's a Jew. He called her a Gentile dog. Help, help. Why would, you, why would you do that, Jesus? And she goes, yeah, yeah, sir, but even the dogs eat the crumbs. And he goes, what? Man, this kind of faith... I don't even, no one has this kind of faith. Absolutely, we're going to do what you said. Like, so yeah, he's in step with the Father, but it's not like God already said this, so now it's fixed in stone. Apparently, the Father is a little more flexible than some of us have given him credit. Apparently, the will of God isn't a written document that can't be changed. I have a friend that says, did you check with God recently about that? Well, this is what he said this many months ago. Yeah, 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 that's fine, Tim. But did you check with God recently? Interesting. Well, I guess I haven't. So this life of abiding, I think my time's up. This life of abiding that Jesus walked in as the original Christian. He walked in in eternity. And he walked in as a man. And now we've been given that same walk. Much of the New Testament is the apostles saying, hey, don't let anyone convince you that you don't have this. Don't let anyone convince you that you are outside of this and you need to earn this or do these special things to have this or keep this. Much of the New Testament is the apostles going, oh, you, you guys are like stressing me out because... If you'll just stick close to what you started with, it'll grow to maturity in you. But you're scaring me because you're starting to mix it with human stuff. Isn't that true? Am I right? Oh, you guys. The apostle says he's actually anxious daily because of the churches. Because he wants to see Christ formed in us the same way that the Father was in Christ. I, you ever notice that we're in, the Father's in us too? 
We get the whole Trinity when we get Jesus. We glorify the whole Trinity when we glorify Jesus. Have you ever wondered, why, why does the New Testament want us to make so much of Jesus? Why doesn't it want us to make as much of the Holy Spirit? For whatever reason, God set it up so that as we make much of Jesus, we are making equally much of the Father and the Holy Spirit. It's not wrong to thank the Holy Spirit. It's not wrong to praise the Holy Spirit. The early church did it all the time. Just pointing out, you can't get, you can't get one without the others. And we used to say, oh, the Father was visible in creation. Jesus is visible in redemption. And now the Holy Spirit is visible in the work of the Holy Spirit in the church age. By the way, what is the church age? I like, those are weird categories to me. But look, the Father speaks a word, who is Jesus, when the Spirit is hovering over the face of the deep. Oops, now there's Trinity right there. Oh, so the Father was in Jesus while he's on the cross, reconciling the world to himself. And the Spirit led him there. Oh, okay. Oh, look, it's the Spirit of our Father who's in us. The Trinity is in everything God does. Like God... Jesus said when we're rounded up and we have to give an account for who he is in front of rulers and authorities and we're super stressed out about like what are we going to say? He says don't even think ahead of time about what to say because in fact words will be given you at that time and it won't be you speaking, he says. But who? Specifically, what exact phrase did he say? It won't be you speaking, it will be the spirit of your father. We get the Father inside of us too? All right, that is enough. A prayer team. Man, I, I just feel like. No, that's the wrong phrase. I deeply believe that if, if we could settle down and just have our daily bread be abiding in the fullness of this gospel, and just say, today my only goal is to be aware of God's presence. And every single moment be done in a spirit of prayer in partnership with God. No matter what I'm doing, whether it's spiritual or not, because it's all spiritual. Do you know what I'm saying? Like if you don't have a Jesus who plays ping pong and watches football, get a bigger Jesus. I didn't used to have one like that. I was like, Jesus is getting, he's out there evangelizing and praying. That's not what he did for 30 years. For 30 years, he lived a normal human life. So if he's at home watching football with your kids and you're out evangelizing without him, oh! Especially if you're out there out of guilt. Go home. Get happy. Go out only once you're happy and he led you there. There's some things we mentioned in the service that I want to pray about. The... Uh, I hear snotty coughing and stuff. So in Jesus' name, we lift these, these families and those affected. We say no to viruses. We say yes to strong immune systems. Uh, I agree, and we say yes to Kate's immigration stuff. Another situation close to my heart related to that, uh, that you know, God. We ask for favor. Hear our prayer, Father. We are a family. I ask, God, that you would remind us uh, to, to abide in your presence this week, but also to encourage each other and be the body all week long.